What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Stub Podcast. Episode number 225 just finished a three-game series down in Hotlanta against the Braves. Took the first game, lost the next two. Some stuff to talk about there. I mean, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have some opinions on the Braves and their fan base because woo, who did they show their true colors this week? A lot of just weird stuff going on down there. So we'll talk about all the games and all the storylines and all the narratives as well as just some random stuff going on in Mets world. So make sure you guys are following us on all our social media at Mets Up on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube version of this podcast go check out the new york mets youtube channel subscribe over there and if you're listening to us apple Podcasts, spotify google odyssey drop us a rating drop us a review download and subscribe and james i think you did tell us that we have a new review which we'll have to save for the end if you, you know who you are we're gonna give you a little shout out there but james otherwise how are we feeling feeling good i want to say hi to all the braves fans out there we know they're they're all here this is their favorite baseball podcast so happy to say hi to all of our resident braves fans who tune in every single time we play them and uh yeah uh, last time in Atlanta this season, good, good riddance. I hate Thank that God. place. I don't like those fans. I don't like those people. I don't like playing that team. I don't like Marcelo Zuna. So happy not to do that anymore this year. Yeah, I mean the the bar is set really low down in Atlanta, so it's 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 not too much to say that you don't like any of them. I will say the last episode they did leave a lot of positive comments. So for they those were. of you, you again, you know who you are. Appreciate you. You respect ball. You know we know ball. There's a little mutual respect there. Where I don't have mutual respect though is Bryce Elder. Bryce Elder hitting Pete Alonso. I wasn't happy about that. And you know what I was more unhappy about? Because I'm I'm all about a little bit of like rivalry. I want the Braves and the Mets to be a rivalry. I want them to hate each other. I don't want anybody getting hurt. Nobody getting hurt. Never in baseball. But I love a little, little jawing back and forth, a little tension going on there. But I don't love that the Braves fans were cheering openly for Pete Alonso getting hit when Bryce Elder hit him, whether you want to believe that's on purpose or not. That's up to you. But they were cheering and and pumped. And this was uh, the Braves fans also did this when Pete got hit last year, too, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. When he got hit in the face, he went down mm-hmm. and they were buzz. cheering for him. Yeah, he got buzzed. They were cheering for that. And it's so funny coming from a fan base that is so fragile and soft that when Ronda Cunha gets hit by any pitch, they think, one, it's on purpose, two, they're trying to hurt the guy, and three, they're like, I, I want to make sure that pitcher pays for it. So it's just interesting how when their pitcher does it, they have no they have no ill will whatsoever. I know, and like game situation would like you like to believe that it probably was, you know, possibly in air quotes an accident, but like the first pitch of that bat directly in some guy's hip, and then Bryce Elder just had a stone face. We're like, again, yeah, I'm not, not going to charge him with anything or really could totally say that this person did it, but it did feel like something like that might have been happening. And then the worst part was, like you said, the Braves fans cheering. Like, I don't want to cheer when a guy gets hit by a pitch. Like, it's been a part of the game going back 100 years, but like, it's not something to cheer for, especially when this player actually at the end of the day did nothing to you. He no. just like he just trash talked a player. Everyone trash talks. This is this is sports. Like you're allowed yeah. to trash talk and do that. And we all know like the fame of Pete Alonso and that this weird enigma that nobody like no fans of other teams like him. It kind of doesn't make any sense. They think he's a hard though, when really he's just he's just like a really good baseball player who's just very um authentic and genuine. And again, like you, you mentioned Pete Alonso's name and it just spreads like wildfire. The internet will eat anything up with Pete Alonso's name, no matter what the validity of it is or not. And the Braves just, for some reason, this is like, this is their thing now. Like they just don't like Pete Alonso. And you know what? That's fine. They don't have to like Pete Alonso because Pete's, Pete's the man. He's on our team. He's a New York Met. I don't care if they like him or not, but yeah, cheering for the guy getting hit. Bizarre behavior, especially for a fan base that will literally cry when Ronald Acuna gets hit by a pitch. There, remember when Jose Urania was for sure hitting Ronald Acuna on purpose, but there was a couple times at the beginning where like, eh, maybe, I don't know. And that was after Acuna was hitting tanks and bat flipping and everything like that. He, uh, I, I did a video saying, 
I don't think he should be hit on purpose, but I understand why Jose Arena did it. And Braves fans went wild. Like, what do you mean? They could have ended his career. I'm like, oh my God. It's so funny how when their guy does it, they cheer. So Braves fans, not that the you know the bar was particularly high for you guys, but that that dropped it down a, a rung or two. Cheering for a guy getting hit, a little disappointing. And again, we're not saying the people over here are the ones who cheer; no. it was the people in the stadium. But it was a very calm. It was like a. It was like a. It was like a fun golfer. Like you know how like there's a golf clap. <laughs> it was like a golfer that likes to get the crowd going. Like that's what the cheer was like. It was a it was like a woo. yet strong clap. And whatever. I was like it was a fun place to start. Just letting the Braves fans check himself a little bit. We should talk about the game the Mets won though. Yeah, on Monday night because it was a very good game. The offense stayed hot. We got another uh, home run from Demetrius Jerome, who was up to five, five since the trade deadline with a one sixty WRC plus, and he's a guy who has a lot to play for at the end of the year. Like people always talk about that. Sometimes there's yeah, there he is. Yeah, Demetrius Jerome cards, courtesy of Giraffe Nick Mark. Get them all; they're hot. Um, there's a lot to play for. Everyone always talks about the fact that like a team like you could be a little bit out of the playoff race. So it feels like you're not playing for much as fans, but these guys are always playing for something. They're playing for a job. They're playing for arbitration money. Something interesting that happened over the weekend. I kind of love the response to it by writers and the player itself was when Gunnar Henderson was a, a single away from the cycle against yes. the Oakland athletics on Sunday. And he ripped a ball down the line. And instead of stopping at first, he just went to second base and his teammates were like, Oh, what are you doing? No, 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 don't do that. And he was just like, I'm here to play the game the right way. But I'm sure also there was a piece of it. And some people broke it down later on Twitter where it's like, that double is going to earn me more money in arbitration. That single that gives me another extra base hit that helps my slugging percentage that helps my isolated slugging percentage. Like I'm going to get the second base and probably get like 7,000 more dollars a few years from now. Like that's well worth it as opposed to like hitting a cycle. So there's a lot of these guys are playing for Rafael Otega, another guy playing for his future, playing for a job next year. He got another home run as well. Bottom yep. of the order for the Mets has been very fun since the trade deadline. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like just seeing Demetrius Jerome, our boy, hopefully we get to talk to him soon here in the upcoming weeks when we have a long homestand. But I was I was sorting through some cards the other day just because I like I got a couple boxes that are just full of cards I haven't seen in years. And I found this gem. I found a Demetrius Jerome rookie card. I found a nice Dennis Santana rookie card, which I, again, didn't know that existed. And then if John was here, I found a rookie card of his favorite player. Danny Mendick, which I'll, wow. I'll give it to him the next time we see him. That'll be his little gift, even though, again, Mr. John, Mr. Hollywood, he can't be here again for another episode. Uh, code word is going to be um, GameCube. I'm going to go GameCube. We've got a GameCube controller next to me. So if John's GameCube. listening, just mention GameCube. But yeah, I mean, like it's it's refreshing to see, like you said, for a team that or for guys that maybe are fighting for more playing time for a job next year. DJ Stewart last year had three plate appearances in 2022. He was in the minors to start the year this year. And relatively speaking, he's only had about one-ish year of Major League Baseball play, and that came back in 2021. Otherwise, this is a guy who's fighting to be one of those last men on the roster. So for them to play as well as they have been, to show signs of like, oh, like DJ Stewart's got some real power. Rafael Ortega can kind of do a little bit of everything. It's going to be big for these guys' futures, whether it's with the Mets or not. And that's that's something that I really care about too, because there's always the narrative. It's happened with Mets fans. It's happening with Yankee fans now, too, about the conversation of should they lose and get a better draft pick or should they win and play good baseball? And I'm totally of the mindset of you got to win and play good baseball. Like You don't want to set a precedent of losing is acceptable. And I think the fact that the Mets have relatively come out every single night, played extremely hard and try to win as best as they can is really refreshing in a time where tanking is super normal and accepted. Yeah, and I think that that conversation has also been overblown recently just because of the fact that there's like the draft pick penalty, but I'm like, we've all paid attention to the MLB draft before. The difference in picks 
isn't really that tremendous up and down you go because it changes your slot money it changes the players you're able to pick major league baseball draft is more of a game than the other drafts we're always drafting the best available player or a player that fits the best because unlike the nba and nfl like this guy is going to be minimum minimum best case scenario like two years two and a half years until he makes a major league impact and maximum especially a high schooler could be get five to six so that having that pick that high up doesn't really mean as much i think the fact that especially a team like the Mets at high ex- expectations coming into this year and has high expectations heading into the offseason into next year because that's just that's the standard that we have now as an organization. You have to keep winning. You have to keep playing well. You have to just keep people like engaged, happy like and it just feels good to end the season with momentum. Like you can feel that in every sport. Like a team like the Rangers had a really bad start to last season. Got hot in the second half, was able to carry that into this season for themselves. A team like the Orioles last year missed the playoffs, they in air quotes again sold at the trade deadline. Wind up giving up Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez, who are both. Trey Mancini was DFA, and Jorge Lopez is not the pitcher he once was. Got Yenier no. uh, Cano, who's one of the best relievers in baseball, and still ended the season hot despite missing the playoffs. Like, and then you can take those good feelings as you move along. Like, baseball is such a feeling sport, such a mental game, and I think that is really important to keep that going. And I really do like the fact that this Mets team has been fighting, like scratching and clawing every single day, doing everything they can. Like, there's no, there's absolutely no quit in this team, and it's it's been refreshing. No, 100%. And I mean, like you look at everywhere on this team, like you mentioned the bottom of the order has been refreshing seeing DJ and Daniel Vogel back and Rafael Ortega playing well. But then you look at the top of the order too, and it's just, it's so comforting. It's like uh, validating to see Nimmo, Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo, just like every night now getting the job done, getting their hits, getting their home runs, driving in runs. Because this is like essentially what we thought the top four would look like this year. We thought these guys would be able for the entire season to be producing a lot of runs, to be effective at the top of the order, make this lineup deeper. And we're starting to see it come together now. It's a little later in the year than we would have hoped, but it's refreshing of like, oh, okay, like these guys are still there. Like McNeil's been playing such good baseball. Francisco Lindor, we're going to talk about every episode, guys. So if you're tired of it, I don't know what to tell you, but you shouldn't be if you're a Mets fan. He is here, and he is one of the five best players in Major League Baseball, according to F4, this season. Me and James were talking about it off camera. He's in the conversation with top 10 players in all of baseball. He's just so incredibly good. It's so the Carlos Beltran thing. You just need a couple years, you figure it out, and all of a sudden, you're a stud. You just need one year. And you guys, if you want to go back and listen to that interview we did with Beltran spring training, or if you remember, he said that the first year you're with a team, especially like the Mets team that has so much more with the media, so much more with partnerships, and you have to shake so many more hands and do many, so many more things for so many different people. It's just hard to say no. And Lindor echoed it a little bit in the conversation we had with him as well, where you have to kind of set your own boundaries, realize what you have to do for yourself, and then do what you have to do for everybody else. And Lindor's done that. He's sixth. We say that every episode, same, same, similar stats because not that much really changes, but sixth in F4 since he signed no, the deal fifth. with the Mets. Oh, well, I think he's back. To, I think he might deal. be back to six now. Yeah. yeah. And like we were also looking at some funny things. Like Francisco Lindor has already accrued like he's going to accrue over fifty WAR before he turns thirty. He already has I think two hundred six home runs. Like I got my fun stat. Let me let me give my fun stat, which is just to finish the thought, and then you give the fun stat. Yeah, he's he like there's a real chance Francisco Lindor in his career if he averages like twenty six home runs for the next a couple like seven years. Like he's going to no seven no eight years eight years eight years twenty six home runs for eight years a little less twenty five I guess. He'll have 400 career home runs. If he does that, he'll probably end up as like almost an 80 win player, which will be near the top of shortstops all time. Where like there is, there could be a world where these same curmudgeonly Mets fans and like we're knocking on all the wood in the world here. We're just using like the most basic statistical projections that we have. Like there's a real world where he's going to Cooperstown. The same people who were calling in WFN like he never, he never did it in a big game. I really always thought for the money he could be a little bit better, but he's really good. He's one of the most valuable players in baseball, and suddenly looks like he's on one of the best contracts in the whole league too. 
there are three players in Major League Baseball history that have played 50% or more games at shortstop that have 200 home runs, 140 stolen bases or more, and an OPS over 800. Francisco Lindor, Hanley Ramirez, who doesn't get enough love. That guy was such a stud. And one of, I mean, your favorite shortstop of all time, maybe, James, Derek Jeter. I mean, if Derek Jeter was good at defense, he'd be as good as Francisco Lindor. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing, too. Those other two guys were known as offensive first shortstops. They were there because of their bat. Francisco Lindor has that bat, and we were talking about today, is probably the best defensive infielder in all of Major League Baseball right now. It doesn't really seem close. No, and that's so much so much more important now without the, the shift anymore. And he's getting career high in battle rate. He's hitting the ball harder than he ever has. He's not stri- he's striking out less than league average. He's walking more than league average. He still was he up to 20 steals on the year. It's just... It's really great to watch him play. You can't tell people too loudly, but Francisco Lindor is one of the most exciting players in baseball. I like that. I like how you said that. You can't tell people too loudly. They're going to get yeah. upset. <laughs> you can't because you, you start pushing people too much. Like they're going to push back. And uh, also the best part about his three-run home run on Monday was he hit it off of old friend of the podcast, Brad Foote. And Brad Foote. Been, been waiting years for the Mets to get a big hit off of Brad Hand, and it was really nice to see Francisco Lindor just tee one up and put one over the wall. Yeah, no, it was, it was very, very nice. I actually think the last time the Mets did anything against Brad Hand was when Lindor was still on Cleveland, and that was the game that JD or Michael Conforto, I think, had like that dribbler walk-off or had the dribbler down the line that Brad Hand botched, and then J.D. Yeah. Davis had the walk-off down the line. Uh, a couple giants there now, but yeah, good times, good times. Uh, we, we are not big fans of Brad Hand over here. No, definitely not. He's an absolute uh, slider merchant, just slider army merchant. And then... Just to wrap this game up, uh, David Peterson is having just such a weird, a weird time since he got called back yeah. up. His ERA is three, his FIP is five, his WHIP is like one point six. Those who th- all those things just mean that he is missing bats, which we've seen him miss for a while, but the command still isn't there. Which again, similar we've seen for a while. He's changed his approach back up since he came back to the majors too. More similar to last year, where he's really leading with that four seam fastball again, more than the sinker. He's still throwing plenty of sinkers. But he's kind of doing like a four seam fastball slider and then a sinker changeup thing, kind of using two two pairs of pitches to play off each other. And like it was fine. Like he he definitely like looked very visibly disappointed to be leaving the game with two outs in the fifth because he definitely wanted to get a win. But Marcelo Zuna was coming up and he already had two home runs and his two at bats off of David Peterson. So you got to take the hook. But at least it's like if Peterson's like pitching these games, pitching against a really good offense and things things he's there's there's manageable. It's manageable situations, and he's getting through them. And then the bullpen you, went four in the third scoreless. Did you catch the stat that they dropped during the game about Matt Olson? How uh, there's only one other player ever to hit as many home runs as he has and not hit two off of a single pitcher. Because they were like, David Peterson, there's an opportunity for him to break that. He obviously didn't. But that's like so crazy that Matt Olson hasn't hit two home runs off of a pitcher this year. He's only hit one off of all of them. Off of this year. I was like, you mean ever? Because there's no way no. that's true. But yeah, yeah, yeah. this year. Uh, that's pretty funny, honestly. I guess that also just tells you like how like baseball is now, how many different pitchers are coming in every single game. Like that's just that's just that. But that was uh, that was it from game one. It was a good win for the Mets. I had like the good feelings of the weekends like still going. I was like, all right, yeah, yeah this, is, this is fun time. And then uh, next two games less fun. Game two was tight though. Tyler McGill kept us in the game again. The trend of his increased velocity since returning from the minor leagues is still here very strongly. He again was just sitting 96, 97 the entire game. His fastball average over 96 miles an hour. The second time this year, including the last start he made. And now, after Tuesday's start, 27 of the hardest pitches he's thrown all year have come in the month of August. Yep. It seems like maybe a year removed from like the, the injury that he had might be doing him some good. Just some time, some rest, and building that arm strength up. 
Totally. And another big part of that where the slider also picked up two ticks on average in Tuesday's game. It also had eight whiffs, average 86 miles an hour. Those were both season highs. And now this is even funnier than the one from the whole month. Seven of Tyler McGill's 14 hardest thrown sliders this whole year came on Tuesday. Oh, wow. That is that is an interesting stat, knowing right? uh, the context of the other stuff. Yeah. And uh, the only offense we had in this game was going to for watching Bryce Elder throw these loopy curveballs for not strikes and just not not strike out and get walks and get men on base and not score. Frustrating. But Volko back hit another home run. That's nine in two months. He's on a 40 homer pace right now since the middle of June and has a 130 WRC plus and 13% power rate since that, since he had his 10 day break. Yeah, no, I mean, Vogelback swinging the bat well. Uh, I mean, they're, they're mentioning every time on the broadcast. They're like, he's being more aggressive. He's really hitting the ball with some oomph. Like, these are all things that you expected from Daniel Vogelback all season. And then, of course, Pete getting beaten by Bryce Elder. Just to talk about Bryce Elder for a second, is there a world where he's actually like a pretty good pitcher or is it just like he's kind of getting lucky right now? Because I know you're the pitching guru here. There's a world where he's a fine pitcher. And I think something interesting about Elder, I think I talked about this with you off air, is that he has like one of the most unique like two-seam fastballs in the game, just its movement profile, the angle he throws of that. I heard Greg Maddox talk on a podcast about it. That's just like he really knows how to place it well. And then with doing that, the pitch tail isn't like that good, but it's unique. So it keeps hitters off balance and gets a lot of ground balls. But then he just keeps looping that curveball in over and over and over again. Like he leads with that curveball. That's basically becomes primary pitch. I think he's thrown the sinker a bit more this year, called the sinker, probably a two seamer. But like having that curveball is a pitch that he can throw for strikes and get like near 40% whiff rate. Like that's made him good. But I know that that's like, I feel like the pitchers like this are the ones that really like are very variable year to year. Like yeah. you look at Miles Mikolas last year, you see Justin Steele this year. I think Steele is a little bit better than Elder, but these guys with that much velocity without an elite fastball, you lead with an off-speed pitch and they mix in the sinker. Like that can work for a little while, but he's probably not going to be able to go more than three innings in a playoff game. And yeah. next next year kind of just depends on where his mechanics are because if that command goes a little bit, like then he certainly becomes a guy who's like very precarious. That's a real conversation to have about the Braves, too, going into the playoffs. That pitching, what are they going to do with that rotation? Because it is not a rotation built for the postseason outside of Max Freed, and it's kind of it. Well, I mean, Strider. Strider is, like, he yes, probably but is. he's never like, thrown this many innings. No, I know. We, we, we have our fun with the Braves, but Spencer Strider, objectively, is, like, a top-five pitcher in the league. It's probably not four, three, four, or five, but we have to actually see him get to that point. Like, he probably, for the Braves to go where they want to go this year, he needs, like, what, 60 more innings? Yeah. Does he have 60 more innings? It's also like mentality wise, like I know how like focused he is and how concerned he is with winning and getting better, but do you think he has a playoff mentality? Complains about lucky I hits. Know. I don't know. No, it seems like Clemson. he gets frazzled a little easily. Yeah, Clemson, Clemson's a school for the mentally weak. We know that. So it's a dangerous, a dangerous game for the Braves in the playoffs. But we all know that. You guys know that. And then game game three happened. I guess Charlie Morton won't 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 stop. Just Yeah, he just he won't die. And I mean, I mean I'll give him I'll give him credit, like he had like his career is super fascinating to watch because he was a guy who struggled with injuries super early. Someone who like was supposed to be a good pitcher just took a little bit longer. And again, this is like also a bit of a teachings and patience here is like Charlie Morton. It took him until he was like 30 to be like a major league pitcher consistently. And relatively since then, he's been very good this year. I feel like he's never actually really pitched well against the Mets, except maybe outside of tonight in game three. He'd been walking guys, been giving up hits, been giving up runs. We just haven't been able to shut the door. Tonight was not one of those nights. No, he did he did pitch well. He, he looked solid. No, he also he's kind of the linchpin for this Braves like playoff push because he had a very bad start to the year. He's done this twice, two years in a row now. And you're like, oh no, here goes Charlie Morton. And then yeah, like as the year's gone on, the curveballs come back a little bit, the fastballs come back a little bit. He's still not 
he's not 2019 Charlie Morton anymore. Like he, but like he will have these spot games once in a while. But it's gonna be curious to see how they uh how they feel about deploying him. And you know, the Braves, a team that just gives second and third chances. Marcel Lazuna, another home run, three more hits. What a what a comeback season he had. He's having here, huh? Yeah, I mean, uh, I got nothing nothing to say about him that you don't already know. Nope. And it, I will say, like, this is something that I respect for the Braves is in the first inning how incredibly good they are at scoring a first inning run. I mean, we saw it last year with the Mets. It's, it's a huge, huge advantage if you can get that run in in the first inning just because you have the ability to put more pressure on the pitcher, more pressure on the hitters. When you're playing from behind early, it puts a lot more on the other team. And they, they do that, I think, more than any other team in Major League Baseball. I think they've scored the most in the first inning and scored the most runs as well. And when you have Ronald Acuna at the top of the order, who also then steals second and third sometimes, it's it's tough not to. And I mean, obviously, a huge part of that is Ronald Acuna. I think twice the series he scored the run in the first inning. Actually, no, he didn't do it on Wednesday. I think he only did it maybe Monday. I don't remember. It was Riley who did it on Wednesday. But it's just him getting on and even just stealing that base in the first inning does so much like to the pitcher, like you can just see the fear. And he has like, he has 58 stolen bases this year. He's also been caught illegally eating 11 times. So, you know, maybe, maybe a little more careful with that, Ronald. But I think there's like an interesting thing happening in baseball right now. And it feels like there's a little bit of fatigue around what was thought to be like a pretty, a pretty much guaranteed MVP road for Ronald Acuna. So Mark, if you had a vote right now, who would you vote for for National League MVP? Why are you making me do this? Why are you making me say Ronald Acuna? I mean, like you're gonna say Ronald Acuna? It's just, yeah, he's my, he's my pick. I think, like at this point, I don't know. Like I know it's Mookie Betts and him right now. Those are the two choices. Those are the two options. And as much as I would love to extra rile up Braves fans, but I got a feeling you might do that. <laughs> the uh, it's just Acuna's been so good this year. But like you said, the the fatigue. There is a thing like Christian Yelich, the year that Cody Ballinger won the MVP, Christian Yelich should have been the MVP. But the problem was that Christian Yelich was hurt the last month, still had better numbers, but you got to see Cody Ballinger finish the year hot. It's not just like in regular like playoff baseball, World Series. It's not always about how you start. It's not how you play in June. It's not how you play in July. It's how you finish the season. And right now, Mookie Betts is finishing the season ablaze. Not that Ronald Acuna isn't, but Mookie Betts is playing better right now, I think, objectively. He is. I think Mookie's been playing better for like a solid like six weeks, maybe a month and a half now, almost two months. So I think that is part of it too. And then the other thing is just that like, talk about most valuable, and this is probably going to piss Braves fans off, but like Mookie Betts, his team was not in a great spot early in the season. And he went off from the grass to the dirt and has played two positions, two high value defensive positions, as well as you could really ask a guy to play them, especially one who hasn't played them ever professionally, including shortstop. He's playing shortstop right now in the above league average way for a Dodgers team that really desperately needed him early and now has once again been swept back into having another fantastic season when everyone was like, oh, it's a reloading, retooling, rebuilding year for the Dodgers. And this is going to be a funny one. Like, have the Braves won a World Series without Ronald Acuna Jr. Like, I get he's like having, <laughs> he has these gaudy numbers, the 58 steals, the 28 homers. He's going to be a 30, 60 guy. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but it's like, I don't know. Like, if you take the stolen bases out, which are the fun stats, which is just something that kind of the game has changed so much this year. Like, I bet if Mookie Betts didn't hit in front of Freddie Freeman, he'd probably have maybe like 10 more steals. And I did some math before because <laughs> we were talking about this off air. And I took half of Ronald Acuna Jr.'s stolen bases and I turned those, like, and I took some singles away and I turned those into doubles. And that would give him like 65 doubles on the season already, about 60 doubles in the season already. And that did bump his slugging percentage up to like, <laughs> like, like 630 which is higher than Mookie Betts' yeah. slug percentage, which is higher than Acuna's right now with the steals between like 600, 630. 
you take half of Mookie Betts' steals, make those singles doubles as well. It's only about 6-12, so still significantly higher, but Betts has more homers, and I think that it's really hard to ignore the defensive value that he's giving that Dodgers team, being like, he's having like the best utility man season ever. Ever, all time, at right field, shortstop, and second base, doing things that his team desperately needed to be in the spot that they're in. And he has more yeah. points. Yeah, I mean, it's close. It's close. Like, I think I think right now it's a coin flip, and I think whatever side it would land on, people are going to be upset because they're both having historically great seasons. Uh, we'll say this. Let's go Mookie. Let's go Mookie. Yeah, Get Mookie that MVP. Away. Take it away from Ronald Acuna. That'd be great. Let's have the Braves win nothing this year. Like, they won nothing last year as well. No, just you got to keep you got to keep Ronald Acuna being ordinary with the Braves because they won the World Series without him. So again, the value it's questionable there. And then he's trying to go for the personal achievement. He's probably not going to get that either. Like I don't know. I think I think Mookie Betts. If I had to have one of those guys right now, I'd want Mookie Betts. You know, for all the things he can do, yeah. clubhouse presence. Yeah, I mean, uh, great great fielder. That's that's the thing I care the most about. That glove. That's by all far, I care by about. Far. Hitting I mean, psh, nothing. All the dexterity and everything. But that's the Mets and Braves series. That was it. Last time we played the Braves this year. It was nice to go into, yeah. Thank God. Nice to go into Atlanta and win a game, though. Like I know that's some loser talk. You guys are gonna be like, "Why would you say that?" But like, it did feel good that Monday. They'd be like, "All right, just take a breath for a second here." Like it's been a while since we won a game there, and it was nice to actually get that monkey off the backs and like play with the Braves and be like, "We we're fine." Yeah, nice voice crack as well. Going through puberty there, James. Yeah, right. It's been a long day. I saw saw Oppenheimer in the morning today, so it's been all up and down all day. Hard to see. Hard to see (laughs) a movie about an atomic bomb and then just like walk into Central Park and be like, "Well, that was crazy." (laughs) <laughs> what time was the movie? What time was the movie? Ten thirty a.m. Ten thirty a.m. movie. They won the only open showings for Oppenheimer in like the seventy millimeter IMAX I could get for a minute, and I went with our buddy Drew. Oh my god! And you know, it's just and you get out of that movie like like one thirty in the afternoon. You're in this beautiful sun, wonderful day in Central Park, and you're just like, I don't know, what to talk about right now. Like we just <laughs> that was deep. That was dense. What was I doing at ten thirty this morning? I was okay. laying in my bed. Um, I was awake. I wasn't sleeping. I, I woke up at like 940. God, I got an early bed last night in, in bed by like 115. That's early for your boy. So I woke up like about an hour earlier than I normally do. And uh, was was deep into like some Instagram reels learning about like the little glitches and cheat codes to try and get more views on there, which we're going we're gonna to start to use that on that stuff. You're gonna, you guys are going to see we're going to start playing the game a little bit. <laughs> So funny. I bet all the people who are like commuting to work on uh, Thursday morning listening to us just like banged into their stealing wheel are just like, what the hell? These guys, these guys' lives sound crazy. <laughs> uh, that was the Brave series. Wrap it up. A couple other things we're going to talk about before we get to estimate and a preview of this weekend's Angel series. The first thing was definitely the most high profile, explosive, and interesting athletic article that was written since the last mm-hmm. time we talked to you guys. And it was Tim Britton talking about the Mets' new pitching lab. A lot of great nuggets in there. A lot of the writers and a lot of uh, then also Vito and John went up to went up to hang out with the minor league guys last week because there's a lot of a lot of good minor league content there. And Tim Britton really went deep, talked to most of the Binghamton staff just about and Mike Vassell about what's gone on to Mets pitching development in the last few years, like how they feel about it, how they feel together. And it like it was really just cool to hear Mike Vassell talk about something we spoke to you guys about the last episode where it was difficult for him to get the grip on his fastball after using the different ball in double A. And even last year, I think there was a tacked ball in single A. So changing his grip, getting back the ride he wanted on there, getting that pitch to be located the right way, getting the right movement on it. And then just the whole double A rotation talking about how they know they have the best staff in the Eastern League and like they give the ball to the next guy every single day and they know they're better than the other guy. But John Vito, also on Future Flushing Podcast, talked to Blade Tidwell earlier this week. Nice interview with him talking about you know his growth since the draft, being a part of this big team, and like the feeling they have now. So you guys check that out if you haven't. But 
I talked about an article that our boy Tim Healy wrote about Tidwell a few weeks ago, about a week and a half ago now, maybe two weeks ago. And he talked more about the fact that he, in this article with Tim Britton, that he's changed the grip on all of his pitches, basically, besides his fastball since hmm. coming to the Mets organization. And he talked about the fact that now he has all four pitches going in their own four unique directions. And I've heard from like talking to pitchers, listening to podcasts, listening to articles in the past that that's something that a lot of pitchers strive for. It's basically like having a banana peel of your pitches. So you're throwing every single pitch. Oh. They're tunneling off each other. Same arm slot, same feel right there, same approach angle, same extension. And Tidwell said now his fastball has some writhe on it, so it's going up in the banana peel. His uh, His sweeper... It's coming from the left side, so it's moving, moving arm side away from the lefties. Now a changeup that is a new pitch that he's really proud of says developed the most. He said, describe it. He was like, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's hard to describe. And But basically the fact that now that pitch will fade to his glove side away uh, in, into the lefties, away from the righties, and his curveball is just a dropping curveball. So four pitches, all moving different directions. Dom Hamill had some great quotes in the piece as well. Really, really good article you guys check out from Tim Britton. The Best thing written about the Mets on the athletic this week. The only one that's worthy of attention. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, Blade Tidwell was someone I was super, super high on in the draft uh, back in 2022 before even I thought the Mets were going to have him. He was like one of my 15 best prospects in the entire draft when I was doing my rankings. And it was just simply because like the frame, the size and what he had shown us as far. I'm like, man, if someone who the, the right people got a hold of him and can, you know, sculpt him into the kind of pitcher that you know he could be. This could this is serious, like frontline starter, ace potential type stuff. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit with Tidwell here. And that wasn't there even something about a uh, Brandon Sprout that was mentioned that like basically on any given day he's just been phenomenally good. Like he's got stuff to be a f- incredibly good pitcher. I think there was a quote going around, not from this piece, but from Jim Callis, that he was just one of his favorite pitchers in the draft. Some of the highest upside, Jim Callis from I think he's from Pipeline. Just that if that yeah. fastball is working, that he has the high end stuff. But I don't think, again, the guys got listen to the future of flushing to get the uh, to get the up to date minor league information, John and Vito. But I don't believe that Sprout is active in the. No, system. he's not a double A. No, yeah, I think I think he's just like I think he's in development plan. Like he's in the lab this the next couple of months, like gotcha. working on his pitches before making his professional debut. Which for a guy who has pitched in college as much as Sprout, I think that probably is. That probably is a good idea for him. Get him in the lab, especially because you hear a guy like Tidwell be like, in a year, all my pitches are different except my fastball. And the fact he's taken to it so quickly and the fact that it's so obviously, like you can see it in the stats, in his performance, like in his comfortability, it's really cool to like hear, like see something and then hear the guys talk about it and it'd be affirmed to be like, oh my God, yeah, like things are happening. It's cool. And one more thing I want to talk to you guys about minor league pitching, Jose Budo, someone we were very, very excited about when he came in relief last week. I think just titillated half the Mets fans out there being like, 97, oh my God, he's doing it. Oh my God. <laughs> One of the big things that happened with uh, Budo in relief, especially until he got to those 50 pitches and the velocity started to tail off, was the fact that fastball more velocity and it played up. And his fastballs always had pretty good natural shape. So the fact that he was able to throw it harder, it just, it just performed much better. And that was fantastic. He made his first start back in Syracuse on Tuesday night, and he totally switched the fastball for a sinker. I look back to all of his last starts. He didn't even use that sinker until July. I didn't see it once. And this was the first time he'd ever thrown it more than about 12%. And he threw it as his primary pitch. So it seeming seems like something that was like an absolute change. But I thought like, oh, fastball looked good last time out. So I tried to do a little more research. And I looked at the movement that he had on that because you can't get a lot of, you can get a lot of stuff in, on Savant for tri- guys in AAA, a lot of data. One big thing you could get is a horizontal break and vertical break. You can't get extension. You can't get a release angle. So no, some good, some bad. But he had the exact same like movement on his sinker as Rysel Iglesias, the Braves closer, staying a little topical mm-hmm. here. 
And then I went into it and I saw that Budo and Rysel Iglesias as two right-handed pitchers have the exact same extension, the same vertical release point, the same horizontal release point, which I thought was just crazy okay. coincidence. And I showed you that picture of their, their releases side by side. You're like, oh, this looks like the exact same angle. The data backed it up. Yeah. And that Rysel Iglesias sinker is thrown 97 miles an hour. Budo's average 94 miles an hour the other night. So a little different, but in a lot of models, it grades as a plus sinker. And it's a sinker that he's been using really well for a couple of years now. It's been a pitch that's been awesome his entire career. So pretty cool that Budo got a new weapon here. I think it looks pretty good off his new slider that Savant weirdly called a cutter in that minor league start. But it was a slider, had the same movement profile. So love to see that this is happening with Budo. Love to see the tinkering. And those first five innings for Budo in this start were dominant. No one touched the ball against him. And then the six and the seven things he came out for us when he gave his runs, his velocity tilt down a little bit. But there's definitely something with Budo. He was a guy I feel like a lot of us probably wrote off just the way we've seen him the last couple 100%. of years. Just seemed like there was always a piece missing. This new slider might be the piece that was missing. And just the fact that what he can get in those condensed start velocity-wise could really add a lot to his effectiveness. It's practice and patience. I said it earlier. Some guys just don't come up and aren't amazing. Like It's not like... Oh, wow, Jacob deGrom, what a sick pitcher we found here when he first came up and made that start and everyone was hyped about Rafael Montero, how two different careers those guys have had. But sometimes these guys just take a little development here. And a guy like Jose Budo making these strides forward, guy I hope to see at the major league level again this season, hope to see him pitch again, exciting stuff down in AAA. And of course, if you guys want to hear more about that stuff, check out Future of Flushing with John and Vito. Um, yeah, they do great stuff. They're always dropping episodes for you guys over there, keeping you up to date with the Syracuse Mets, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, and the Brooklyn Cyclones, and all the other stuff. So as we wrap up here, let's go ahead and get to the estimate. Of course, John is not here, but he Eva. did text this one. And I got to say, John might be mailing it in again here. I mean, we had a whole <laughs> text conversation about Shohei Otani today and his possibility of playing because he left the game early with arm fatigue, which is a little concerning. But he said the estimate for this one is going to be hardest hit Shohei Otani ball. Uh, we'll say that we tied the last estimate as well. Bryce Elder threw 34 sliders for 34 breaking balls. James guessed 37. I gave, I guess 31. So uh, a dead tie, which would explain why the Mets lost the series. That's on me, guys. I should have done worse. I shouldn't have been as close as James. Apologize for that. But we're going to grab our whiteboards here. And uh, Shohei hits the ball among the hardest in all of baseball. So it's going to be a high number. And then here's a fun question. Are we going to have a backup in case he might not play? Because he leaving the game with an injury I, on Wednesday was scary. I think that's your risk you could take. You could guess zero. You could say he doesn't, he's not going to have a hard oh, hit ball. Really? All right. I think that could be your guess. If, that, so would, that if mean, that's your guess. Does that mean whoever's lower than if he doesn't play wins? It would, it would be like if he doesn't hit the ball. If he doesn't hit the ball, whoever is the closest to zero wins. Doesn't or, make contact. Or Vito came in, and Vito said we could also have Mike Trout hard hit and just do that one instead of Shohei Otani since he I, is. I say we do either. John tried to mail it in. We won't let him. Thank you, Vito, for coming in clutch, saving the day here. Let's do a hard, the hardest hit ball by either Shohei Otani or Mike Trout. Deal. I like that. I like where your right. head's at. Let me get let me crunch some numbers here, see how hard these, these fellas are hitting the baseball because they do be hitting it hard. Trout coming back uh, – I felt like he was very sneaky about coming back. Yeah. I don't even know if he did rehab or not. I don't, but I don't believe he did. He, uh, wow, Shohei Otani hits the ball 118 miles an hour. That's pretty hard. Um, <laughs> I think he hit a 115 home run in the first inning of their game today. And Mike Trout's max exit velocity is 114. Oh boy. I mean, I got my number. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go here. One decimal right. point. Yeah, I got a decimal point as well. Ready? Yes. Three, two, one. Bang. Oof. I've got, ooh, 113.1. I got 111.1. 1. 
couple sticks for James. Four four sticks over yeah. there. Four sticks. Remember that game you used to play like as a kid, chopsticks? That was a fun game. Yeah, that was a fun game. That was a good one. And that was gonna make a little math, little little brain teaser action. What competition? Little, little competition never hurt anybody. Little competition never hurt anybody. Speaking of which, we got a little competition coming up here. We got the Angels coming into town. Could be seeing Shohei Otani. Definitely gonna be seeing Mike Trout. Uh, those are definitely the two guys to be most excited about. Also, shout out Eduardo Escobar. He's coming back. Going to get a big ovation, I assume. I'll be standing and cheering for him. One of the nicest guys ever come across. And Dominic Leone, my boy, he'll be back as well. Not, not having a great stretch here for Dominic. But hey, what are our pitching matchups for this series? The Angels are playing a doubleheader on Wednesday night against the Reds. So their pitching matchups and their rotation is a little weird with um, Otani leaving his game pitching, Tyler Anderson pitching five innings behind him. So as of right now, they haven't named a starter for Friday night. I don't know. I'm not I'm not aware enough about the interworkings of the Angels. Try and guess that. But for Saturday, they're scheduled for Chase Silseth, who is another one of those prospects that the Angels called up by barely pitching the minor leagues. And then Sunday, the Peacock game, day game, David Peterson versus Patrick Sandoval, the Irish Panda. Wow, big left. Wait, is, is he the Irish Panda? That's like a stupid nickname for him that Nick Pollock came up with. Okay. All right. yeah. I was like, <laughs> what? Um, yeah, they are. Pitchless joke. The Angels are interesting. They bought at the deadline and have not been playing well. They are nope. pretty much out of it. Uh, baseball reference yep. gives them a 0.1%, less than 0.1% chance to make the postseason. Lower than the Mets. Not, lower than the Mets, so it's not looking great for them. A couple former Mets, too. I mentioned Eduardo Escobar and uh, Dominic Leone. Also, Brandon Drury coming back. Brandon Drury had a nice little, little chunk of time with the Mets, too, at one point. And Brandon Drury has been a good player. Another player who was a former Met who has not been very good since he left the Mets. Everyone's favorite left-hand reliever, Aaron Loop, whose ERA oh, Aaron, is... Aaron quickly, Loop check? Yeah, quickly approaching six. I remember there was a time in Mets world where it was the end of the world that the Mets didn't re-sign Aaron Loop to a multi-year contract after one good season where he didn't strike that many people out. And uh, good to be on the right side of history on that one because he has been not so good otherwise because him being good is just kind of like sometimes the ball goes to the right place. But he did drink, he did drink, uh, he did drink beer in the press conferences, and that was cool. Yeah, Bush lattes. He, uh, I, I got a couple Angels fans, friends, and every time Aaron Loop comes in the game, they groan. And I'm like, it's so funny because I loved when he came in with the Mets. He pitched great, but just another one of those relievers that Mets fans threw an absolute hissy fit over that we didn't resign. What was another one? What was his name? Miguel Castro? Is that one of those guys? Yeah, I think that was a big one. He got traded for a reliever who was actually kind of useful for most of the last year. Kind of. Um, I mean, their pitching is not good. They're hitting. It's it's so bizarre to say like it's not good, but it isn't. Like Logan O'Hoppy's back. I think he's a New York kid, so this will be a little bit of a homecoming for him. Although he's definitely Pennsylvania. I want to say no, New York for sure. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. West Islip, I believe, is what I just read. So definitely uh, a New Yorker. Matt Feist also a bit of a homecoming for him. He's a Jersey guy from Jackson, New Jersey. I uh, met some fans at. One of the last games, I think it was the the Braves blowout, unfortunately. I was conversating with them because they're listeners of the podcast. They know who they are. I forgot their names. Bad podcaster. But they were they grew up with Matt Dice. And they were like, hey, listen, like, we're going to be there. We're going to be talking to our boy, like, Jackson, New Jersey, represent. I was like, that's South Jersey. It's a little dirty, but I'll accept it. Yeah, accept it. Um, what else for Angels here? Um, they're probably most exciting pitcher besides Shohotan. He's Reed Detmers. He's starting the second game of their doubleheader on Wednesday, so we're going to miss him. This lineup, Nola, Nolan, what's his name? Nolan Chanel? Chan, oh, Chanuel, Chanuel, yes. Yes, first round pick this season, 2023. That was the least minor league games we've seen in a while before a guy got the call. And he has a hit in his first six appearances with the Angels, which is a pretty cool thing. They have Mike Moussak is playing every day for them. 
Hunter Renfro. It's a real who's who of guys that a lot of other teams probably didn't want very badly, and they're trying to just patch it together, just trying to make the <laughs> trying to make the playoffs with Shohei. Former Yankee great Squid, a.k.a. Andrew Velasquez. I'm sure he's going to do something just since I said, no, you know, Jinx doesn't exist anymore. Andrew Velasquez no. ain't doing anything. I'm saying no that Jinxes. right now. Matt Moore has had a major resurgent year in the bullpen for them as a, as a very good lefty. Carlos Estevez had a great first half for the Rockies and has had a not-so-good time with the Angels. Same with Reynaldo Lopez. Same with Dominic Leone, old friend. Yeah, this team is just kind of kind of feel bad because oh, we might see Griff Canning get the spot start. That's probably what's going to happen. Ooh, okay. On uh, yeah, on Friday night, but you almost you almost feel a little bad. This team basically has sold their entire farm system to try and make one big run with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, and it's just it's the second it happened, it went so horribly wrong. Yeah, no, I mean it'll be a fun series. We'll be out there. The boys will be at the stadium. Maybe Friday night doing a little immaculate grid for you. So if you see us, come find us. We. We're trying to get some content with some of the fans, and you might get a chance to go on the scoreboard as well at some point because the last one we did, uh, the last home game that the Mets played, the immaculate grid of Mets stuff went up there. So shout out to you guys who want to play that. And also shout out to the last review that we got because I said I'm going to shout him out here. It's from uh, Gen Z Locals. This podcast is my first listen whenever it comes out. Truly one of the most amazing podcasts. I've met James twice. He is cool. I doubt I'll ever meet Big Shot Mark, and I love the podcast regardless. And this is also to John, again, mailing it in. I'm sorry he can't read this on his own. Also, John, I saw a stat at the second Pirates game on the scoreboard that said Grant Hartwig hadn't allowed an inherited runner to score, and then they all scored. I don't know if that was you, but I'm <laughs> saying it was you. Be better. I love the pod. Thank you, dude. Appreciate the uh, the awesome yeah. review. That's a great review. I feel like I know who wrote that. I feel like I'm going to appreciate being shouted out. But love, 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 you know, talking to the boys right here and then just getting one shot in at John. That's that's the beauty of this podcast, making fun of John at the end of the day. Of course. Everybody knows the the hierarchy of what goes on here. And John's always going to get, we got to get a shot in any chance you get. Yeah. Yep. That's it. I think, I think that's what we got for this episode, huh? Yeah. Let's wrap this one up here, guys. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Make sure you follow us on all our social media at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Go subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel if you are looking for the video version of this. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Odyssey, whatever it is, drop us a rating, drop us a review. We'll shout you out, download, and subscribe. We appreciate you all. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And you sounded sad there. That was a little depressing. Bring a little no. energy for that at James underscore Shiano. I don't know. Just talking long. There he is. There's there it is. And me at Giraffe Neck Mark with the C. Thank you guys for listening and watching. We'll catch you on the next episode. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time.